John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, good start to the football season as the Seahawks get a big 38-25 to victory over the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, uh, a game that uh, featured a lot of different things. A game that also, there's some things that have to be cleaned up, which you would expect after uh, no preseason games and no offseason programs. But let's waste no time. Let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Four-man rush. Russ looks. He's going to lay it up over the top. He's got a man down there. It's Metcalf. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. On fourth down and five. Russ takes the snap, stands back there like a patient man and waits, and 14 gets open for six, a 38-yarder. Holy smoke. You guys are covering DK Metcalf with one man. Forget about it. He beats them for six. Pretty incredible performance by the Seahawks as they get 38 points and just breeze through the Falcons. Now, last year, they breezed through the Falcons and got a 24-0 lead, and the Falcons started to come back and make it a competitive game. Well, in this case, it didn't get become a competitive game. It was really pretty one-sided once the Seahawks took control. And Russell Wilson going 31 for 35, 322 yards and four touchdowns. His passer rating is 143-1. Absolutely incredible what he was able to do. Still, the uh, good things that you saw from the team also was on defense. We'll get into that in the sense that uh, you know, Brenson Mayoa had a sack, Jamal Adams has a sack, and uh, I, I'm, we're going to take some phone calls later on, so we want to find out what you think about Jamal Adams, because I'm telling you right now, this guy's absolutely incredible. He ended up getting, I think, what, 12 tackles, and he makes the sack and all those different things. Benson Mayoa looked really good at the Leo position. He got a sack and a bunch of pressures, and overall, pretty one-sided game once they established themselves by the second quarter. And, of course, you know, naturally, because and you heard uh, Pete Carroll just talking about, you know, he's not disappointed that they gave up over 400 yards passing because it was Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's going to put up good stats. The difference is that uh, the Seahawks under Pete Carroll, 8-0. and This is a stat that uh, Danny O'Neill talks about a lot. 8-0 and when a opposing quarterback throws for over 400 yards. That's incredible to think about. But I guess, I guess you can see you have some one-sided games. You give up yards. You, know, you just don't give up enough points. And overall, it was a good win, and the Seahawks are 1-0. Number two. Yeah, he played almost a perfect game. And uh, you know, he had a couple drops there, or he had been just about dead on it. So uh, it, what really stood out is that it looked so much like, like practice, you know, and, and that's what we, we hope to make it look like. You know, we work really hard to practice like we're going to play, and, and the tempo and the stuff that we tried to execute really worked out well. So uh, it, was, it was great. Here on Brian Schottenheimer, let Russell Wilson cook. And getting the fact that uh, they threw the ball 38 times, or at least dropped back 38 times. They ran the ball only 20 times. <clears throat> and, of course, you can understand a lot of that is the opposition. Because what you're looking at is a Falcon team that at least last year struggled to get to the quarterback. Both the Seahawks and the Falcons had 28 sacks apiece. Then uh, you can see that there's major problems in the Falcons secondary. You know, they had A.J. Terrell, a rookie first-round pick, out there on one side. And Isaiah, Isaiah Oliver, a cornerback who got beat 62% of the time and was the most picked-upon cornerback last year. Desmond Trufant, of course, going to Detroit in free agency after they cut him. And so uh, you know, tough, tough day for that defense. But what you saw in the 21 of the first 35 plays on offense were on uh, with passes. 
That, that, that was encouraging. They got different tempo early. They were able to speed things up. They were able to mix more, uh, fewer running plays on first down, so it wasn't run, run, pass, and they had great success. And so now they even had Pete Carroll going for a fourth down with the lead in the third quarter, and he got a 38-yard touchdown pass. You just heard the highlight from uh, Steve Rabel, and that 38-yard touchdown pass touchback was to DK Metcalf. And so I think what you're seeing right now is that they're giving Russell Wilson the chance to take this team as far as it can, and right now it's off to a good start. Two tough games coming up here in the next two weeks, home games against New England and Dallas. Number three. The next pitch. Swing and Walton shoots this deep out to center field. Jay racing back out of the warning track. It bangs off the wall. Marmaleo sprinting around third. He scores standing. Irvin coming home and he scores. Donovan Walton stands up at second base. His first career big league extra base hit. And so the Mariners get a 7-3 victory over the Diamondbacks, and they're now 2-1 and one in winning that series. That was an important one because now it keeps the season alive for the Mariners. Now the schedule is going to get tougher. Uh, what you have right now is that uh, you know they've got doubleheader coming up against the A's at 1 o'clock today. Uh, that's going to start at 1. Of course, you'll be able to hear the game on the pregame at 1 o'clock, and so we're at 12 o'clock, so that's encouraging. And, of course, uh, the Mariners right now, with the Astros losing to the Dodgers last night, the Mariners are only a game and a half in back of a playoff spot. How incredible was that? So the Mariners, of course, getting good pitching. Uh, Justin Dundo struggled. He uh, was only able to make it through two innings. Bullpen came in, gave up only two runs the rest of the way. And so a 7-3 victory over the Diamondbacks. And the Mariners right now still saying somehow, some way in the playoff race. Number four. He's going to try to run for some more here. Kyler Murray hops inside the 10. Murray turning on the speed and Kyler Murray. Puts the Cardinals on top with 10.26 to go. Fourth and five from the 16. Garoppolo batted away. Byron Murphy swatted it from Trent Taylor. And the Arizona Cardinals are 33 seconds away from a season opening win. And amazing. I know a lot of people are predicting this, that the 49ers would be a little bit flat, and they were uh, going against the Cardinals, even though it was a home game for the 49ers. 24 to 20, the victory for Arizona. Good game, of course, by Kyler Murray. He was 26 for 40 for 238 yards, but also had 91 yards rushing and he had two total touchdowns. But DeAndre Hopkins. And again, this is showing you right now where some problems are for the 49ers. You know, they needed to up- upgrade the secondary, and they didn't. They're staying with the same trio they have right now. Jason Verrett, of course, they had hope was going to do some things, but he didn't. He's on the injured list. DeAndre Hopkins, 14 catches, 151 yards. Pretty incredible. Then, of course, on Sunday night, the Rams were able to get a 20-17 to victory, but there was a questionable offensive pass interference call on Michael Gallup that had a negative play on the final drive. There was also some more controversy in the game in the sense that you know Mike McCarthy went for a fourth down and didn't get it in a key situation when he could have tied the game with a field goal. And so, bad game for the Cowboys. And once again, even though with the coaching change, they're still underachieving on offense. Number five. I think Mike Rabel, one of the smartest coaches I think I ever had since I've been playing football. And he knows football front and back. And he knows how to pick guys into position to make plays. And that's what he did in Houston. When I got here, he started moving me around already. And he just picked me in position to make plays. He believed I'm a playmaker. He believed in my ability to make the plays. So he just keep lining me up all over the place. And I keep executing the calls and making plays for him. 
So that's today. Megan Clowney is going to make his debut with the Tennessee Titans tonight when the Broncos go against the Titans. Steelers going against the uh, New York Giants. Uh, Steelers looking to get back to the playoffs. Big Ben Roethlisberger, who, of course, was injured in the Seahawks game last year, but really there was an injury on the elbow that was been nagging him for a couple years. He had to have surgery, but he seems to come back strong. We'll see how well he can do. Joe Judge is making his coaching de- debut with the New York Giants. Clowney, of course, uh, is going to be on the active roster. Uh, we'll see if the Vic Beasley is going to be active, too, but uh, that's going to go. Drew Locke, promising uh, quarterback right now with some good receivers. They hope to have Cortland Sutton on the field. You know, he's got a shoulder injury that he's kind of been nagged with. But overall, it's uh, Clowney. I think everybody's going to be watching that to see what they do. They're going to move him around. He definitely praises the ability of Mike Vrabel to put him in the right position. Hey, you can listen to the show on 710 Sports app, powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, under further review, we're going to talk about letting Russ cook. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, we heard it all this offseason. All the people talking about let Russ cook, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Well, guess what? They let him cook. I mean, he was able to go around and do the things that uh, actually he's been doing in training camp, and he did them so well. I think the biggest thing is that uh, you know he was able to mix some faster tempo at the beginning of the game. He was not having to run the ball on first down all the time. He was able to set up good down and distance uh, situations, and overall just really have a phenomenal game. And because of that, uh, you know the Seahawks were able to get a 38 to 25 win. But I think that you saw and you know the evolution of this offense, and you know. One of the reasons I think it was so successful yesterday is the cornerbacks that uh, are out there for the Falcons. You know, Isaiah Oliver was terrible last year, picked upon for 62% of the completions against him. He was the most picked on corner on the Falcons roster. And of course, then they didn't bring back uh, Desmond Trufant. And then the next thing you know, they have A.J. Terrell, who is a promising first round cornerback. But now he's out there, you know, trying to contain D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and guys were able to get open. So this was one where passing the football was probably the wise thing to do but let's get into the conversation about let Russ cook and hear what uh, Danny and Gallant had to say how much of it was Russell and Russell putting his best foot forward just playing one of the best most ruthlessly efficient games that I've ever seen look he was he was 31 for 35 he he had as many incompletions as touchdown passes and he honestly should have had more touchdowns than than incomplete passes because DK Metcalf flat out dropped one Flat out dropped one that hit him right in his hands. How much of that was Russell playing one of his best games, and how much of it was the offense? Well, this is the common, excuse me, this is the constant, right? Isn't Russell Wilson playing like this every single Sunday? To me, it's an expectation. And maybe that's putting it too much on Russell Wilson's plate, but I I, I guess I expect to see Russell Wilson succeed whenever he has the opportunity to throw the football. The offense felt a little different. And if the offense is different week to week, Danny, maybe this is a regular occurrence where we see Russell Wilson throwing 35 times and just four of them are incompletions. I felt like this was a game plan that catered to Russell's strengths and maybe in a different way. We'll see how the season unfolds. There were seven passes on their first 11 plays on that touchdown drive. They got helped out by what was a pretty generous pass interference call. Yes. But, but, they they came out, and it was not establishing the run with body blows. They used some misdirection. They used screen passes, which was, is what you often do when you've got a team that you feel is going to be over-aggressive in their pursuit. 
Russell attempted 35 passes, and he was great. He had the it was the third highest completion percentage in by any NFL quarterback in a game where a quarterback attempts 35 or more passes. It's the highest completion percentage by any Seahawks quarterback. So he was really good. But I also felt like this was a game that was built to accentuate his strength. He was given the opportunity to be that good. And he was so good. I mean, really, I think that had to be one of his best games. And D.J. Wilder, who's filling in for Curtis Rogers, it's like what I was looking at is you know a quarterback that's really even more on top of his prime you know going out there you know running and you know he did get sacked three times the line started to firm things up as the game went on you know they had a lot of trouble trying to handle uh certainly some of the interior defensive Grady uh, Grady Jarrett was of course a problem to try to block but overall I thought that uh, they mixed things in well and it's not going to be week to week like this I mean they're not going to be 30 35 38 pass attempts or drop backs to 20 runs every week like for example next week that won't happen because you got the Patriots coming to town and they have probably the best trio of coverage cornerbacks in the league so they may just try to run the ball a little bit more but what did you think of what uh, they were able to do with uh, Russell I loved it. I think what really needed to be clarified during the offseason of this whole let Russ cook thing is this doesn't mean he needs to start throwing it 50 times a game. It's that, okay, he throw like last year, he attempted about 30, I think about 32 and a half passes a game in 2019. But a lot of those came in the fourth quarter when they had to play from behind all the time. We were just kind of talking about how about we just spread these passing attempts out throughout the, the throughout the whole game let him throw more in the first and second and third quarters and we can see what happen, what happens i don't care what the nfl top 100 list says lamar jackson's not better than russell wilson if he's not the best quarterback in the nfl he's the second best behind patrick mahomes and i, I did feel like they were kind of holding him back a little bit just by only really saving his ability abilities until the fourth quarter and we saw what can happen yesterday if you let him have more of a command of the offense it really just opens up for everybody and i just think this offense has real 2005 Seahawks potential when they went to the Super Bowl that year. And I just, I, I'm, I'm very happy with how Schottenheimer called that game with the, what seems like a, a change in philosophy. We'll see how it goes from week to week. Cause like you said, John, the Patriots do have a great secondary, even with all the players that are sitting out. So who knows if we'll get to the 35 attempts that he got to yesterday, but I, I think this is a promising sign to see to really show that they are willing to adapt to the quarterback that they have and to the weapons that Russell Wilson has and he can utilize. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, you know, DK Metcalf, as everybody's been anticipating, does look better. <clears throat> but I know the argument's now going to be DK Metcalf is going to be the number one receiver on this team, and that's not the case. Tyler Lockett is so good with the crossing routes, you know, going from his right to his left, giving Russell all those different options. You know, Metcalf is fantastic. There's no question about it. And I thought that David Moore did such a good job. And for all the people on the Antonio Brown front, it's like, oh, go get Antonio Brown, get the star. Hey, there's enough stars in this team. Greg Olson did well with the four catches that he had. and But Russell was just absolutely phenomenal being able to do all the things that he did well it's also you forget that they also have will disley and they also have jacob hollister tight end and they were around but that just shows how many weapons that they have philip dorsett didn't get to play yesterday and he, he he's you know you know a game burner that russell really likes those receivers that can run deep on those deep go routes and everything so he has so many weapons and not to mention rashad penny can come back too and so I, 
I really, I really, really like how they're already letting Russell utilize these weapons, even though when he doesn't even have his have his has his full arsenal of weapons yet. Because Will Disley is going to have to get going; he's coming back from an injury. Jacob Hollister is going to really be the third string tight end. Not to mention Kobe Parkinson, who they really like as a rookie tight end out of Stanford. They they're going to work him into the mix most likely too. Rashad Penny is going to come back at some point. DJ Dallas, hopefully he can be active next week. I mean, he has so many weapons, and if they're already letting Russ cook, then I really like where this team's going. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think it's going to be a week by week adjustment. But of course, that does uh, you know it now creates problems for defenses because now you have to start to guess. Okay, which way are they going to go? I noticed that uh, they were able to get tight ends on the field a lot more yesterday. I thought that was good. They were able to just kind of cook down field and the drives. I thought were really really strong. But again, so much of it is all Russell Wilson. And you know, I, I, it's funny because I still go back to the uh, Denver game a couple years ago when Brian Schottenheimer was in his first game with the Seahawks and he had. Russell passing like this more than they ran the football and they kind of did the same thing not to the same degree against Chicago and then out of that Pete Carroll sat down and Brian and goes to Brian like what's going on here uh why are we passing the ball so much and a lot of it's because how much Brian appreciated how good Russell Wilson is and so then they kind of went back to the you know running formula in that and uh it didn't let Russ cook but still the team was able to do some good things and now, year three, I think you can see that uh, Brian now has such a good grasp of doing the things that Russell does the best and putting him and the offense in a position to win. And from the 206, thank you for correcting me. They might also get Josh Gordon back this year, not to mention that. That's... Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weapons here, and the 480 makes a really good point here, too. The pre-snap movement formations were fantastic. I hope they keep it all. Yes, pre-snap... They... That that's the thing. Like they weren't even using really like any pre snap, like any pre snap motions or anything last year. And to really do that, just to kind of have the keep the defense on their toes, I think is going to really help these receivers and tight ends get open. Yeah, and of course that's one of the things that the league is uh, doing now. More coaches are going to. In fact, I think uh, in the first, well, if you include the game against Houston and Kansas City, they had fourteen percent on pre snap motions. 14%, and that's up from like four, three, four years ago. There was hardly any. Now, thanks to uh, Sean McVay, uh, Kyle Shanahan, and others, it's up to 14%, and I think that's only going to grow, and that's not a bad thing. I think that's uh, going pretty good. Hey, by the way, uh, tell your smart speaker to uh, let's say tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Brady Henderson from ESPN.com. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us right now is Brady Henderson from ESPN.com. So, Brady, it looks like they let Russ cook. Yeah, they did. And that was one of the uh, things I was most interested to see how they would handle going into that game. And and the way that they did that, I have always thought, was the most realistic way to let him cook. And I've said this before, that it was really hard for me to imagine Pete Carroll just all of a sudden doing a 180 and turning into Andy Reid and letting Russell drop, you know, uh, throw the ball 40 times a game. But, you know, realistically, he could let him, uh, you know, get him going earlier in games. And you saw that uh, with, you know, dropping back on, I believe, 18 of their first 25 uh, offensive plays. Now, a lot of those in the first half uh, were kind of shorter passes. I think the numbers from our 
uh, stats department at ESPN was, you know, the average pass traveled, I think, only 1.8 yards downfield. And that was, you know, uh, weighed down, obviously, by a lot of screen passes that you throw behind the line of scrimmage. So it wasn't a lot of deep stuff in the first half, but then you saw them open it up in the second half. And, you know, it wasn't just, the, you know, getting him early uh, that they let him cook. I think another way they did that was going forward on fourth down uh, midway through the third quarter on fourth and five. Um, you know, so that's not like fourth and one or fourth and inches. There was a healthy amount of yardage to get that first down. Uh, Pete Carroll trusted Wilson to, to get that, and uh, Russell paid, uh, rewarded that trust with that touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. How much do you think that was one of the problems that the Falcons have at cornerback? Because you know, here they were, uh, their young nickel cornerback was inactive with an injury. You know, they had AJ Terrell, a first uh, first year rookie, first round pick. You know, I- Isaiah Oliver's terrible. He's a third year guy that get, got sixty two percent completions against them last week. How much do you think that played into the fact that it's like, okay, let's pass these on these guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that was part of it. I'm sure it was, you know, the matchup there. Uh, with DK Metcalf, knowing that if he gets off the line of scrimmage like he did, uh, then he, he's an impossible guy to keep up with. I think it was also a matter of, you know, they were kind of in no man's land a little bit, so to speak, in terms of the field position where, um, you know, Pete Carroll said it, um, on your station this morning that, you know, that's a really long field goal to try, you know, from, uh, when the ball's at the 38 yard line. And it's also kind of a tough spot to put your punter in where he doesn't have a lot of room, uh, to try to pin them deep. So you're kind of already in that territory where, um, it makes sense to go for it, but again, fourth and five, you're showing a lot of faith in your quarterback uh, and your offense to get that done, and they did. Yeah, no doubt, and I thought that was a pretty strong way to be able to go ahead and do it, and of course, uh, it turned into a win. What did you think of the pass rush? I was, I, I saw some signs of life there, and uh, you know, you saw some good individual moments there, LJ Collier um, looked pretty quick on that first quarter play where he forced that intentional grounding. Uh, with his pressure on Matt Ryan, and, and that kind of, to me, validates some of what we've heard about him being in better shape. Um, he, he just I know we didn't see a ton of him last year, but he looked uh, pretty quick there. So, um, you know, Benton Mayo had a couple nice plays. Uh, the two fourth down plays, there was the, um, you know, the, the batted down pass early, and then he chased down Matt Ryan from behind uh, for that sack. And so um, there was a lot of blitzing there. And, you know, normally a, a team that, you know, that's not a, they're not a big blitzing defense under Pete Carroll. And, um, you know, I wonder if they blitz more yesterday, more out of necessity uh, than anything, because the front four wasn't really getting it done by itself. So uh, that's going to be something to monitor. They have, you know, look, they, they have one of the best blitzing defensive backs in the NFL, uh, Jamal Adams, and they sent him a lot yesterday. Um, but you would like to see them, you know, maybe get more pressure with their front four to where they don't have to blitz as often. Yeah, no doubt, but I thought they did uh, did a good job of you know, mixing things up. I mean, you know, we've watched this guy in practice, and I, I, I was amazed. I don't know how you feel, but it's like now people have seen him, and I think that, that Jamal Adams is just absolutely remarkable and particularly even better working with Quandre Diggs. Yeah, he is, and, and you know, we, we were at all the practices, and we saw it, and you just, it was remarkable to see him in practice, but it's just, it's different when he's actually in a game and, uh, you know, he's going against somebody else. It's just, I, I was sort of blown away yesterday and, and I had watched basically every snap that he took, every snap that we were allowed to watch, uh, in training camp. And I saw how good he was and he even looked better, um, on the field. It was just like, he, it's, it's like he's playing at a different speed than everybody else. That was kind of the thought that I had when I would watch him come off the edge. Um, he just looks like he is a step faster than a lot of people. And I'm sure that's, 
you know, athleticism, but it's also, I'm sure, anticipation and just the you know, aggressiveness that he plays with. And so um, that was a, a pretty strong debut. And you, you can start to see, if you didn't realize it already, you can really start to see why they thought um, highly enough of him to give up that massive package, package of draft picks that they gave up to get him. Yeah, I, I think it looks good. And uh, oh, what I know that uh, certainly Quentin Dunbar, who ended up, I think, surprising everybody getting the start because I thought that Trey Flowers was going to get the start just because of the time that Dunbar missed. He seemed to struggle early in the game, but I think he was able to kind of get going and do better in the second half. Yeah, and, and that makes sense just with all the, the time that he missed. Uh, you know, showing up to camp late because of his legal situation. He also had to leave camp, uh, you know, later on, uh, I believe because of a, a personal matter uh, that he had to tend to. And so, you know, he's picking up a new defense. You know, I know he had kind of a head start uh, with their style of play, just working, you know, on his own with Marquand Manuel, a former Seahawks uh, assistant coach who really helped him out with, you know, some of the techniques, some of the style of play that, that they use at cornerback. So, uh, but that said, he's still, there's still a lot to learn and he just didn't have, you know, like all players uh, didn't have a preseason. So I I understand the thought process there of mixing in Trey flowers just to try to, uh, you know, not overburden him to start, but, you know, I would expect him if it's not next week, uh, I, I would I would imagine that he is um, taking the majority of the snaps there at some point. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, I mean, naturally in this first game, you know, they weren't going to overdo it with a lot. But boy, I mean, uh, you know, they had uh, Bruce Irvin out there a lot, Benson Mayoa out there a lot, Bobby Wagner, and so uh, you know, they did have a lot of plays that uh, you know those guys were out there, particularly on defense. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the the snap counts right now. Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams played, I think, all 79 snaps on offense, and. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll said that, that their plan was to kind of mix more players in and play more guys, um, you know, than they than they otherwise would, just because uh, you didn't have the preseason, so you want to get evaluation on on as many guys as possible, and you also uh, you don't want to overburden guys who didn't have the normal ramp up period. So, um, you know, I, I I thought you might even see you know some of the receivers, Penny Hart, uh, play a little bit more than they did yesterday. I think he only had one snap. Uh, but you saw them mix in you know, Jordan Simmons at left guard with Mike Ayupati. So um, I think I think that's why they they did it with some of those guys just to to give you know to get more evaluation on guys that they missed out on with no preseason. Yeah, no doubt. What's your thoughts on the offensive line? Yeah, I, w- I mean they settled down. It was it was a rough start, and you know, the first offensive play, a guy comes uh, you know untouched for a sack of Russell Wilson, and the thought is, oh boy, you know, seen this movie before. But I thought I thought they settled down. Um, you know, in the second half and, and clean some things up. And um, I think that that is something that they're going to have to be, um, you know, mindful of and, and ha- have to find the right balance of if they're going to let, you know, they're going to get Russell going and they're going to let him cook, so to speak. Uh, you've got to do that in a way that doesn't put him in harm's way any more than he already is because, you know, this offensive line for years uh, has been, I think, more built to run block than it is to, to pass protect. And, um, you know, when you're throwing, if you if you are going to throw the ball more, um, you know that necessarily it, it can put Russell in harm's way more. And I think, you know, what you saw with the screen game yesterday, I think that might be kind of the best of both worlds there, where you're getting Russ going, uh, but you know it's not, and it, you're not asking, you're not having him drop back ten steps, and uh, you're not having, you know, giving chance, giving defenders a chance to tee off on him. Um, you know, you're getting the ball out quickly, and you're, you know, this screen passes like that have a way of slowing down a pass rush because it gives those defensive linemen one more thing to think about. Um, you know, they've got to be mindful of the fact that, Hey, if, if I get upfield in a hurry, this, this running back might slip out behind me. 
uh, and catch a screen pass. And so um, I wonder if that's kind of a, a nice little balance that they could find there is you get Russ going earlier um, with more screen passes, and obviously you have a running back who uh, can catch the ball pretty well like Chris Carson does. I thought the amazing thing is that uh, the team came out of it uh, virtually with no new injuries. Uh, you know, a couple yeah. guys you know, had to go into the locker room, but uh, they they came out pretty healthy. Yep, and, and I know you know from talking to people around the league, that was a fear this season that there would be more of those soft tissue injuries, uh, just because players didn't have the normal ramp up. There wasn't any on field work during OTAs or minicamp. There obviously was no preseason, and so um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know the Seahawks. You know, part of their thinking was they were they were thinking about setting aside more money. Uh, just for injury replacements this year because the fear was that there would be more injuries uh, that they would have to replace guys because of. And so, yeah, the fact that um, it sounds like there were no significant injuries of note uh, in that game yesterday. I know Rasheem Green left the game, but he came back. Uh, and Pete Carroll said uh, this morning on your station that there were no new injuries to report. So um, that's uh, one more thing, uh, one more reason why I'm sure that they're feeling pretty good about that opening game. Yeah, there was a bunch of hamstring injuries, I know that, uh, around the league. And I know that Marlon Mack tore his Achilles, which is a big blow. And uh, that's going to be, he's the Indianapolis Colts running back. But overall, uh, turned out okay. We're all looking into week one and seeing how it goes into week two. We still have two more games today. And uh, what do you have on uh, ESPN.com today? Uh, coverage from yesterday, uh, wrote a little bit about the, uh, you know, the, the way that they got Russell going earlier in games, uh, just with some numbers on that, wrote about, you know, Jamal Adams' debut and what he had to say afterwards and, uh, you know, taking kind of a playful shot at his old team and his old defensive coordinator. Um, and then going to be writing about just the, the crowd noise for later this week. And, um, it's going to feel pretty different, you know, for that Sunday night game when, you know, what would normally be a very loud crowd during a, a primetime home game is going to, it's going to feel a lot different there Sunday night. So uh, that's going to be later in the week on ESPN.com. Reed Brady Henderson at ESPN.com. Brady, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. Okay. Hey, remember that the Seahawks will take on the Falcons this Sunday or take on, actually they're going to, well, what are they doing here? It's like, uh, okay, they they take on the Patriots coming up this weekend on a Sunday night. So uh, that'll be it. And, of course, uh, we're going to go behind the lines and check out what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And so we just find out that Michael Thomas of uh, the New Orleans Saints uh, end up getting a high ankle sprain. Now, he says he's going to try to play through it. I don't necessarily know if I believe that. I know that uh, Leighton Vander Esch, you know, he suffered a broken collarbone, and so he's going to be out six to eight weeks for the Dallas Cowboys. He's a linebacker. Then you got the uh, the Achilles over the ACL tear that's going to knock out uh, their tight end. Uh, Blake Jarwin in the, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, he's going to be done for the year. So there were injuries, uh, DJ, that, of course, but again, Seattle came out pretty well. Atlanta came out pretty well. Yeah, definitely. I, that was definitely the thing I was most worried about, especially after you saw some scratches late for the Seahawks and like Alton Robinson and DJ Dallas, but I'm guessing those were healthy scratches. But yeah, they came out well on the injury on the injury front. Um, John, just looking at all these games yesterday, who are you most impressed by? Besides the Seahawks, who are you most impressed by? Uh, really, I was impressed by New Orleans, which uh, just blew away Tampa Bay, you know, getting up 24-7 to and winning by more than 10 points. Really impressed by them because there were so many people that wrongly thought that just you put Tom Brady out there and he's going to you know take over the division. I just think the Saints look to me to be right now 
the best team in the NFC, but also what I thought was very impressive with the way Seattle goes. I made a prediction last week for the Washington Post that it's going to be, you know, Seattle at New Orleans for the NFC championship game. And, you know, here it is with the Saints. They actually had a bad offensive day, and yet they score, what, 34 points? Uh, you know, you got Drew Brees completing like six. 60% of his passes. Sean Payton, after the game, said it was the worst play-calling day he's ever had. He couldn't get the team into a rhythm. Well, the Bucks were worse. You know, overreaction Monday a little bit, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Is there some... Or no, what I'm about to say here. Are, should we be worried about the Bucks? What should, do you mean, worried? Should we be worried? Like, Tom Brady didn't look good yesterday. No, he didn't. And they, Phillip I, Rivers didn't look good yesterday. Well, he didn't look good yesterday either. But I, I'm just looking at more like, okay, this is a great first test for the Bucks. They're playing a team that's arguably the best team in the NFC. If not, they are definitely two or three. Mm-hmm. And they didn't look good. In my like, they really didn't look good. Should we be a little bit worried about maybe Tom Brady struggling a little bit against the Saints? I, 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 that's that's the classic overreaction Monday because again, remember, you know, teams that uh, you know have new quarterbacks or new coaches are going to have some difficulty because again, everybody's trying to get on the same page. And I, Bruce Arians didn't mince any words because you know he said that uh, on the play to Mike Evans that uh, you know he just didn't pick up the adjustment that Evans made and made that interception and then. And the pick six was just a bad read by uh, him. But I'll tell you what, what I was impressed with is the Saints defense, particularly the cornerbacks. I mean, you know, I know it's one thing to have Marcus Lattimore, but also how about, I mean, I think the steal of last year was being able to, on a waiver claim to take uh, Jack Rabbit and get him out there because, you know, yeah, he's he's just absolutely incredible, and he calls himself Jack Rabbit. I mean, he is such a so they got two great man-to-man cornerbacks. Yeah, Janoris Jenkins, pick six yesterday. He was great, yeah. and and he's a really good player when he's healthy. Like he's a very good player. I cannot believe they were able to steal him from the rest of the NFL. What what did you think of the Packers yesterday, John? I'm just looking at all these NFC teams, really. Of course, since you know the Seahawks, mm-hmm. they hope to be back at the top of the NFC conference. I'm just looking at all these teams. What did you think of the Packers? Aaron Rodgers looked really good yesterday. Yeah, he did, and of course, I thought it was interesting because you can see that they are changing that offense. I mean, they are going to outside zone. They're getting more motion in there. You know, things that I don't think that Aaron Rodgers really likes. But the fact that, you know, he was able to go out and go to about, what, 345, 350 yards passing, you know, put up 43 points. And, boy, I tell you what, I thought that, uh, you know, getting unique in Dockway was going to really keep the Vikings in front of the Packers. And that turned out not to be the case. Now, it hurt that Daniil Hunter was on the injured reserve list and not able to play. That hurt. But uh, overall, I thought that, uh, you know, the uh, the offense did well and Aaron Rodgers did well. And how about getting 14 catches over to Devontae Adams. Yeah, he's unbelievable. 14 catches for DeAndre Hawkins for the Cardinals, too, but Devontae Adams is really good, and um, Lazard had a really yeah. good day for them, too, so that's what the Packers really need, is more receivers to really step up and help out Devontae Adams. He can't yeah, be the only receiver. They, they, are, they look really, really good, and when I think about Real shutdown corners, too, they don't have two of them, but they definitely have one in Jair Alexander. Uh, Kevin King is decent, but Jair Alexander is really good for them, too. And uh, they got Adrian Amos, too, at strong safety. I really like their team. And if, if they look if they look like that, if, and Aaron Rodgers has more chemistry with Matt LaFleur, 
they were right up there in the NFC too, and we weren't really talking about them that much. No, we really weren't because I thought they were going to drop back, and they still might. Because remember, it's like they had the easiest schedule in the league last year. They were eight and one in games against. Uh, on one possession games and uh, they actually scored with Aaron Rodgers fewer points than the Minnesota Vikings and so the thought was okay they're going to drop back a little bit and they did nothing this off season pretty much I mean all they picked up was Christian Kirksey who's making 3.5 million dollars a year less than Blake Martinez who's a better player that went to Cleveland but now they come back and you know they get the win and uh, they get off to a good start how about the 49ers yeah, I, I was mean, gonna. I was gonna ask you about that. Was that win for the Cardinals more of just the injuries for the Forty ers or are the Cardinals really going to be this as formidable, formidable as they looked well, yesterday? I think part of it had to be the receiver problem, and then the Jimmy Garoppolo problem because he didn't do well. I mean, what here? I know they're, they're what they have. Uh, five receivers on injured reserve or had to put five receivers down with injuries, including, you know, Debo Samuel and uh, Jalen Hurd. And then, uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk, their first round pick, couldn't play because of a hamstring injury. So they thought they could get by with Kendrick Bourne and the former uh, Husky, uh, you know, Dante Pettis. Pettis had one pass target and uh, no catches. And then, you know, only two catches for Bourne. And basically, I mean, he was not getting the ball to the wide receivers, although he just didn't have any receivers. But I think it does show that the Cardinals are a much, much better team. I think they're going to be the most improved team in the league. And how about the fact here it is, you know, because most of the predictors had like the 49ers as a number two team, number three team, maybe in the league in Seattle, anywhere from six to uh, 10. Well, right now, the 49ers are in last place alone. <laughs> right, after week one. Yeah. Uh, I know Seahawks fans love that. Yeah, and it seemed like the Cardinals, their main question to me had to be on the defense. Offensively, you know, even without DeAndre Hopkins, you know they're going to be fine. But DeAndre Hopkins, of course, uh, giving Kyler Murray a number one target, that's just going to make them so much better on offense. But their defense definitely a big question mark. Their, their defensive line was active yesterday. It really, it looks like... Against a pretty good offensive line, it looks like Chandler Jones finally has some help rushing the passer. And then you had guys like Byron Murphy and Buda Baker. They were they were great in the, in the passing game, especially Buda Baker. He had the twelve tackle or ten tackles. Um, also, the Rams, John, they looked really good against the Cowboys. The Cowboys, another team that a lot of people were penciling in as maybe could be a dark horse number one seed, and the Rams mm-hmm. really shut them down. This NFC West, it's just absolutely incredible how good this division is going to be. Yeah, and of course, Mike McCarthy makes the fatal mistake of trying to go instead of the field goal. He went for a fourth down and didn't get it because that would have tied the game at twenty twenty. But he elected not to do it, and that didn't work out. And of course, there was a, a bad missed call on one of the plays that could have benefited the Cowboys. But uh, hey. You know, it's like uh, Jerry Jones is going to be mad about this, but what can you do? Yeah, that that yeah, that Mike McCart. I I cannot believe what I was seeing when he decided to go for it on fourth and five when it would have been what like a thirty-five yard field yeah. goal. I think only down three. <laughs> I cannot believe that. Uh, the Cowboy fans must have thought it was still Jason Garrett in disguise instead of Mike McCarthy. Exactly. But, of course, that, but how about the fact that the Cowboy offense continues to underachieve as far as points? They get the yards, but now only seventeen points. Yeah, and and in one possession games, I think they have the second worst record in the league since the start of 2019. Mm-hmm. They're one in six, yeah. I think, in one possession games. And uh, yeah, the, the, uh, Paul was talking about it earlier uh, this morning. That that offense is so underwhelmed with all the weapons that they have. And you did now you look at the Seahawks utilizing all the weapons, and the Cowboys arguably have more weapons than the than the Seahawks do. And the Seahawks are have been able to figure out how to utilize their weapons to the fullest potential. 
And not saying like Dak Prescott is Russell Wilson. I'm not saying that at all. But they have great receivers. They have Mari Cooper, CeeDee Lance, a really good rookie receiver. Michael Gallup is a great receiver, especially in one-on-one situations at um at, at jump balls. And, you know, Blake Jarwin, he went down with a torn ACL, their tight end. So that is going to really hurt for them. But they also have Ezekiel Elliott. It's it's crazy to me how the Cowboys just continue to underwhelm with all the weapons that they have. They have arguably the most weapons on paper other than the Bucks. And speaking about underwhelming, how about the Cleveland Browns? I mean, yeah, just that was bad. Destroyed, scored <laughs> six points and went thirty-eight to six. I mean, just ridiculous uh, how bad that they played. And uh, you know, I thought that maybe they this would t- a team had a chance for a playoff, and maybe it does. But either the Ravens are that good, or the Browns are still the Browns. Hey, be sure to check out the professor's notes on seven ten sportscom dot com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at five. Coming up next, we're going to take your phone calls, see what you think about uh, what happened yesterday. Are you happy? Are you not happy? Eight six six nine seven nine ESP. ESPN 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.